The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss with Our Wild World, and I'm continuing with my guest, Nick Lynch. So you really do need, my listeners, to tune in to last, week, last week's episode where Nick and I got started, and it started with this debacle, debacle of the export of 24 wild baby elephants to China, and that um, this is really a point in time where wildlife and people and evolution come together as a platform to change a political agenda and turn humanity around toward a new place. So I would like to welcome back Nick. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Ellie. Hi, how you And uh, we sort of stopped off last week at a cliffhanger. We were on a very passionate roll. You have a lot to say. You're a voice of reason, insanity, history, cultural identity, Zimbabwe, and you have a lot to say, and it's important that the world hear this and pick this up. So we kind of left off with um, a point on the political side uh, last week. So let's pick up and cover a few points that we really didn't get deeply into and why they're important. So let's touch again on the hunting industry and why we need to reach out and embrace and find common ground with the pro hunters. And that Zimbabwe has is some of the best wildlife area in the world, or at least it was. It was the breadbasket of Africa. It's wildlife rich. And from last week, you can tell um, from our conversation how much the wildlife is being a pawn in a, a, politic- a global political agenda. But mm. um, as you'd written in this post, which relates back to your Facebook page and a mm. post you had written, which I'd shared on my Facebook page. So listeners, please go find Nick Lynch on Facebook and read this post. This is a broader conversation about that post. And that um, you'd said that the answer is really simple. The hunting community uh, has to rid Zimbabwe of poor governance, and they can continue ranching wildlife and, tongue-in-cheek, you say, shooting it for fun. But um, at the point, what I think you're really saying is that we need to embrace and that the hunting community, as we talked about last week, does have a lot of a wealth of information to share. 
But the reasoning of using hunting, trophy hunting for sport, for entertainment, for personal gain, and the lack of these fees actually being plowed into communities, you had said that um, um, what the hunting community can point to, how they use this money. Would you, would you talk about that a little bit more? How the hunting industry uses this argument that they are sustaining conservation but what do they have to point to to show for it that it's working? Mm. Well, the, the, the program uh, that was designed many years ago was very well thought out uh, in Zimbabwe called Campfire, uh, which is based on the principles of sustainable utilization. Um, there, are, there are two types of sustainable utilization. One is lethal hunting-based sustainable utilization, and the other is photographic safaris and, and normal tourism. Um, in, it, it, is a, it is a very, very well worked out plan, but it, it, it cannot work in a country where corruption is endemic. That's because the money earned from the hunting just doesn't make its way back to the rural poor in any meaningful way enough because it's all pilfered. So the reason this idea is put into place is that, well, if you have the rural community development aspects funded by hunting, then these people are going to have to not go out and poach and kill the animals, and therefore the populations can uh, grow to a sustainable level whereby uh, they can then be hunted or photographed, and, uh, and therefore that's how that should work. So it's quite logical. It's actually very well worked out. I mean, it's, a, it's brilliantly worked out. The only flaw in the problem is the fact that massive corruption lets the thing down. Even the, uh, the minister concerned uh, that we were dealing with, uh, Xavier Kasakoweri, uh, actually had his own inquiry into it and, uh, and discovered in, in his way of putting it was that there was a, enormous uh, discrepancies going on at a, at a local level, at the, you know, at the base level, and that the money was getting pilfered and not going back into the community. I would argue that it's actually historically the, the corruption line has gone all the way up through the food chain. Um, but uh, that's what goes on. So th 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 there should be development. The, the, the rural poor should be uh, happy to not do this. You see, once upon a time, everyone sat under a nice shady tree and a shiny suited minister and somebody from the hunting community came up and the minister said, right, you guys, this is going to bring us jobs. This is job creation and economy and, uh, you know, there'll be clinics and schools and we'll put in pumps and we'll do this and that. And, and the rural poor sort of turned around and went, oh, that's all pretty good. Okay, fine. We won't go out and kill the animals arbitrarily then. We'll leave it at that. And they sat around waiting and waiting and waiting. And then what little development did come about was actually more funded by the hunters themselves than it was through the campfire system paying out for it. The campfire system paid out some. It, did, it has done some stuff, of course, but it has done nowhere nearly the amounts of money earned through, through trophies. And you can see now over the last 20 years, you can, it would be quite feasible to audit the actual figures, if somebody wanted to go to task on it, and um, you know the actual money would be millions of dollars raised in trophy fees over the last twenty years, and what you see in reality is you do not see millions of dollars worth of development around the countryside. So the rural poor just stay poor, and then they go out and start poaching again. They go and they risk their life because they are absolutely so destitute that they figure they might as well do it, and. 
the, the other reason why they do it, they can't understand why it's okay for some fat American to fly over there and kill an elephant, and he, he gets called a trophy hunter. But now, uh, you know, when he gets approached by some uh, Chinese expat working there fixing a train line or something and says, oh, I'll pay you 10,000 US dollars if you go and get me a pair of tusks, the guy says, well, you know, why should I not be able to go and get those tusks to earn that money when it's okay for this fat American to come over and do it? And so, instead he's called a poacher and is vilified. That's it. That's absolutely right. And yet it's, it's, it's his country. This is where his ancestors come from. And he doesn't understand. Why is it wrong for me? And I've got to, I, you know, got to, I, I completely empathize with the poor, the poor poachers. Not that the, everyone, not that all the poachers at that level are actually all uh, in that bracket. Now it's more like an organized crime thing at, at, at another level as well. I mean, these guys but are now... But still, the local I mean, African is an expendable commodity by the cartels. Absolutely. There, as, as you had said in your, your post here, that it takes a lot of gumption to put your life on the line with an antiquated yeah. weapon and a knife yep. to go in and poach a rhino, poach an elephant, poach a lion, whatever it may be, mm. knowing full well that you're going to get shot or mm. that the odds are that you'll get shot. So that reiterates what you just said, the desperate conditions and mm. that you can relate since there's nothing else, there are no jobs. There's, there's these little shiny examples paid for by the hunters of here's a school, here's a clinic, but they're very few and far between. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, there's just nowhere near enough development and progress that should be there. And that lets down the whole program. So I'm against, I'm against trophy hunting for my own personal reasons. I think it's, it's a, a wasteful way to, to do things. But even if I put aside my own personal beliefs about what's right and wrong with regards to it, and I simply look at the model that's there, I can say that it doesn't work anywhere nearly well enough. And so the hunting community actually really should have looked at this and said, well, the reason <laughs> we're getting poached out and the reason this is all going wrong is because the trophy fee money just isn't making us work. but they knew that they have known this for, for years but they can't like every other industry in Zimbabwe they can't really go and cause too many waves because if you start going and pressing the buttons with the government somebody is going to shoot you down unless you actually have a direct communique with Robert Mugabe and you're his personal tea drinking buddy there's no way of getting that message across to his excellency directly because if there was the chances are that even Robert Mugabe would turn around and say what the hell is going on why isn't this system working and the, so you've just stated the Zimbabwean side. Now let's look at it from the, let's say, U.S. side, Safari Club mm. International, as long as we're naming names, yep. Dallas Safari Club, who have now bought their way into the IUCN, which highlights the red list, and which is the other side of the Endangered Species Act. These are the, this is the organization that lists through data what's endangered, what's threatened, what's vulnerable. So now we have the hunting entrenched, embedded, Big lobbying, big money, NRA, you name it. They pay for our U.S. politics to now have a voice in keeping their entertainment going. Now, yep. this is not to be confused with hunting for food, right? No. Oh, complete. I have no problem with hunting for food. Look, if, if we did this another way, if, for instance, there were people who are, who are generally, I mean, in America, there are lots of holistic hunters who hunt off the land and live with the pulse of the land and they do that kind of thing and they prefer to eat meat that hasn't been polluted with tranquilizers and uh, you know hormones Chemicals and all this and sort of stuff yeah okay I get it I personally I'm fully on, on sides with that 
Um, but if, he, if, if that person in America decided he wanted to go out and have a complete true cultural exchange and stay in an African village with the villagers living in the hut and going out into the bush and hunting traditionally, which would more than likely be plains game as well, uh, as opposed to a big game. And no one um, eats a leopard or a lion. Yeah. And eating elephant yeah. is kind of outdated, except for Mugabe's birthday party. Well, yeah. uh, you know, elephant actually isn't very good meat, I have to tell you. Um, it, it's it just sort feeds of, uh, a lot of people. Well, yeah, it's, it's protein, and that's how that would be looked at. It tastes a bit like bad quality beef, to be honest. It's not such a great meat to eat. And, and if um, people really had their druthers, wouldn't they prefer eating cow? Well, uh, yeah, or, 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 or free range game. Yeah, I think Antelope, so. Antelope, ungulates, like yeah, yeah, yeah. beef. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if, if the hunter came over to get this kind of real earthy thing and understand the spiritual significance of hunting and understand the African culture and be with the people and then went out and, and spent 10 days and they went out and got a kudu or an impala or whatever it is, I would have no problem with that at all. I would be like, that is the correct way to help the rural poor directly and also to have a real cultural exchange and something interesting. Instead, what we have is a situation where uh, people living a fallacy, sociopaths and God knows what, who, who think to themselves that this is exotic and the sport of kings, come out, live in a fancy safari lodge for 21 days, or whatever it is that they're going to pay. They pay huge money. They go around, uh, they put some effort in, they walk around and shoot the animal. And, and then the hunters will turn around and say, but this creates employment because we have skinners and we have trackers and all that. Yeah, okay. If you're going to shoot something, skin it yourself, you bastard. Well, now you're getting why. into the, let's, as long as we're naming names, Kendall Jones and Melissa Bachman um, argument that we're doing the mm. African villagers some good. They asked us to come kill this elephant. They asked <laughs> us to come kill this giraffe. So while I'm at it, I'm going to lay down alongside and take a selfie yeah. while I smile yeah, over the yeah. dead animal. It yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. hold water. No, it's a lot of crap. I mean, we, have, uh, we had one here in, in Australia who went over and shot an elephant, and then he got uh, bombarded in the media for being a prick and everything else. And then uh, his response back was something along the lines of, he helped the poor rural Africans by going over there and um, taking care of rogue elephants. Right. By, he, he shot the rogue elephant, which was harassing the poor villagers. That's, and that's the saved. Kendall Jones argument. You know, that's well, the whole you know thing what? after being vilified. You know what? We have a proud hunting and shooting tradition in Zimbabwe. We actually know how to shoot things better than most people on the planet. And we do not need some fat Australian guy with a beard or somebody from the Americas to fly over to help us take care of the rogue elephants. We can do that on our own. Yeah. Thank you I very mean, much. Th this is how the Bushmen have survived for yeah. uh, it, thousands of years. Thousands you know, of years. Yeah. Or the indigenous um, Australians. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It goes way back before us and our high-tech weapons and yeah. our 15 minutes of fame on Facebook showing yeah. us gloating over a dead body. So yeah. um, this leads us to the next part of our conversation that in, the more we talk about this and the more we point out that the hunting for conservation theory argument um, doesn't hold water, that this will gain momentum. And it literally, as you'd posted, it should legitimately be argued about in Parliament in mm. Zimbabwe or, and elsewhere in, in every country, I think, and should be an election issue. So that takes us back to where we left off last week, that this 
elephants has crystallized, the, the 24 elephants being exported, uh, this wildlife crisis that Zimbabwe claims it's in, this corruption, massive corruption, that the country actually has enough money um, from, let's say, as we talked about last week, 1% of the platinum mining to build infrastructure to provide and reduce deep poverty and that mm. it's not happening. So mm. this needs to gain momentum. And it needs to be discussed. So the elephants have crystallized this as a platform. Do you think mm. it will actually become a platform that, as we talked about last week, we're not pointing at a person. We're talking mm. about a resource, a global resource that has the hearts and minds of just about everybody in the world today, if you have a pulse, elephants. Mm. Mm. Look, I, 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 I would say this, that there are actually... This is going to sound strange, but despite the corruption and the problems inside Robert Mugabe's party, there are actually lots of guys who are actually good people inside ZANU-PF. And uh, a lot of them will see the sense of, uh, of what's being discussed here. I do believe that uh, this particular instance with uh, the wildlife capture and export should be something that, that every Zimbabwean has a right to discuss and say, hang on a second, Really? And have a referendum because certainly there's no uh, real representation of uh, of the bulk of people's opinions. But then again, that's the problem. I mean, we have we we've had a series of elections over many in the last decade, especially we've had a bunch of elections, and every single election has had um, you know major issues. And basically, if you look and you can look it up for yourself. Effectively, well, we haven't had ballot a- stuffing and. Counting, isn't it? Yeah, we. I think we uh, had that a couple of elections ago with um, um, a couple of bushes. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) It's not an exclusive. Listen, you know what? I I want to tell you something. We have a lot to be grateful to Robert Mugabe for. One of the things that I'm personally very grateful to him for is for showing me that all of politics all over the world is bullshit. I have no faith anymore in any political system, and regardless of it being left or right, because actually I now know that the, the, the systems are all flawed. They're antiquated for the modern world. And really, Mugabe just highlighted that to everybody. What we need is new systems to be able to, to coexist with our environment more better. I mean, the sixth mass extinction event that we are currently in, plus things like deformation, and, uh, you know, the prospects of, of having uh, ecological avalanches occurring in the future. We're, we're very close to a, a horrendous situation where basically over the next two to three generations, the world as we know it could come to an end. And the world that left behind is one that we might not really enjoy living in because we've managed to decimate everything from forests to wildlife and everything else. A completely different way needs to be brought up to, to run things. Zimbabwe can actually lead the way in finding a, def, a different way of coexisting with the environment. And it should. And one of the reasons why we should is because the best wildlife management experts in the world are probably Zimbabweans, to be honest. We have some unbelievably clever people in Zimbabwe. The hunters, the guys who actually run their properties correctly, especially from, from you know, institutions like the Savi Valley Conservancy, which has had a, a, a very difficult time in the last 10 years in particular. But the, the, the accrued uh, management skills and lessons learnt are invaluable. From the Savi Valley Conservancy, we have pioneers such well, as even Clive if you Scott. combined the Zimbabwean wealth of knowledge, combined wealth of knowledge, with every other nation across Africa, 
there's deep wealth there oh, to huge. create a new system. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, it, but what we do have to try and then do is not allow uh, this money worshipping angle to come in and to simply turn around and say, well, actually, you know, we need the elephants are megafauna. They're absolutely critical to the health of the land. And that that then even extends to global warming and everything else. So, you know, by by not actually looking at this in a, in a more constructive way, uh, we're going downhill. If 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 it means that we now have to simply rely on uh, the, the the hunting fraternity is going to have less and less people coming to from the west, especially. Listen, what this is the way it's going to work over the next ten years. Less and less western hunters are going to come out because simply trophy hunting will be viewed abysmally. Well, especially uh, with the rise of animal rights, animal welfare, yeah. the issues of captivity. The yep. reason that this export of elephants has hit the global stage mm. with a bright spotlight on it. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, the, that's the thing. That was why, as well, when we had when we formed up the Wangi Conservation Consortium, the, 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 the tourism operators in there, everyone could see this. And they said to themselves, crikey, the last thing we want is to be tainted with this shit. And I, and I said, look... It, it's not like Japan isn't functioning as a country. It's a you know it's a, it's a it's a stable country and all that. But how many people really think that killing dolphins at Taiji is a good thing to do? Well, it, that's what I think now. I just sort of think like, well, you know, how does it work? I, I can find uh, I found a poster online recently that it just said "fuck Taiji." Well, what a great advert for the fishing people of Taiji. <laughs> that's what that's what you're tainted with when you go and slaughter dolphins for no good reason. Well, That's the other, what the, happens. The other side of this argument is that traditions change. We yeah. evolve. You know, yep. just because it was a tradition does not mean it's right. And this goes back to the beginning of your post. Just because yep. it's been happening all along, just because South mm. Africa does it, just because mm. Namibia does it, just because Tanzania mm. or Zimbabwe or whoever mm. does it, doesn't yeah, yeah. mean it's right. And that's oh, yeah. what's shifting. Well, I'll tell you, it was quite interesting because uh, whilst we were doing this and whilst, uh, whilst our good friend Sharon Stead was um, uh, heavily involved, she went down and, uh, to a travel fair in South Africa and there were a couple of um, hunter guys there from Zimbabwe. And one of them said, why are you making so much noise? You know, listen, this has been going all the time. South Africa does it all the time. South Africa sends, captures the baby elephants and sells them off all the time. You know, why are we being victimized for doing like it? Like this is a shining example of good? Well, you know, you know what I say? Thank you very much for raising that to my attention. You know, one of the things I am now very passionate about campaigning is a complete halt to all wildlife capture and export from Africa. Totally. I want it to all stop. And I hope that people in Tanzania and people like Tony Fitzjohn and all these good guys up in Kenya, I hope that we actually form up a union of saying, that's it. Cancel all fucking wildlife exports now. I'm so no glad more. you mentioned Tony Fitzjohn. He's such a good friend of mine. My organization right. has funded a lot of his work, Rhino, uh, right. Wild Dogs. And yes, you guys, we all, you know, I don't live in Africa, but I have a lot of experience, 20 some odd years of, of, of being sure. there. So no, I don't live it day to day, but I do have a deep understanding of how it works. And we all need to get together and bring this voice Absolutely. Voice Absolutely. up. And, we and, have to stop being silent. And credit, and credit to Tony because uh, Phyllis is a, is, a, is a good acquaintance of his as well. And, and Tony was one of our supporters. He was on the, on the thing right from the start. He was like, absolutely, you know, he'll back it up. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's, uh, 
It's important that we, we move away from the cage age. We put an end to the stupidity. We find holistic ways to coexist with our environment. We find other ways to economically incentivize the environment. And we start to draw on other ways of, of being able to conserve. We do not need trophy hunting to conserve the environment. We, what we need is better ways forward for us to live with the environment without having to kill it off one animal at a time. It's, it's understood that, you see, and the other thing to bear in mind here as well, it's, it's very dangerous to paint hunters all with the same brush because there are levels of professionalism which are markedly different from country to country. So a professional hunter from South Africa versus a professional hunter from Zimbabwe, you might find that there are some very good professional hunters in their world, how they would con consider it good. But by and large, Zimbabwean professional hunters are heads and shoulders above the rest of them. And Zimbabwean professional guides, absolutely, throughout the continent. So it seems ridiculous that Zimbabwe should have this incredibly proud guiding heritage, the best hunters, the best uh, in everything, basically, to do with safari, which we take as a pride in our natural tra tra tradition. And yet we're making a complete fucking balls up of it. It's absolutely appalling. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I so. love you. I have to tell you, I love you. So <laughs> no, this, this I, would I, be. I tell you what, there's a lot of people who hate me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is what this is what the world needs: rattling the cage, the end of the cage age, and as we talked um, offline here, you know, rattling the cage while you're in it may not always be a good idea, but eventually somebody, and I'm just going to say it, has to have the balls to stand up and say it. And that's what this program is about, and that's what my guests are about. So stick with us. We need to cut away to a break. We'll be right back. You're not going to want to miss the second half. Stay with us. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss with my guest, Nick Lynch. As you can tell, we're very passionate about this. And it's time for our audience to get with the program, which is what I talk about all the time, whether it's me on a rant or with a guest and bringing you expertise and information from around the world. This is 2015, people. And um, this is not an Africa problem. This is not a colonial problem. It's not a Western problem. We all have to come together. This is a global problem. We are at tipping points. We are in the age of the sixth mass extinction, climate change. Elephants are ecosystem architects. They are the largest land terrestrial we have. Whales are the largest sea marine mammal we have. And we are taking it all and commodifying it for a price, which is what I've talked about, changing and shifting this benchmark of health and wealth from being the fatness of your pocket or your bank account to that which is the resource base of this planet that we live on. It's all connected. It's all interwoven. And we are threatening our very survival as human beings. If we don't have a planet to live on and we destroy it and all the resources in it for money, then we're destroying ourselves. So it's time to evolve. It's 2015. It's time to change. So we no longer live in the dark ages. So Nick, help us understand of how we can pick up this torch for our listeners, our audience around the world, what we can do. We have uh, the second half of the show. Let's talk about how science, data, spirituality, this movement of animal rights, animal welfare, large landscape, species survival plans, spirituality, spirituality, you name it, all can come together to shift and Zimbabwe can be a shining light, as we talked about in the first half of this program. Yeah, uh, I would say that Zimbabwe could definitely be a shining light in, in all of those regards. I think it is obviously dangerous to uh, start talking about spirituality, but you do actually get to it because uh, what happens is what we've done, humanity has done this massive commodification of the environment because that's how we did it. Okay. And good. as you put it, brutalizing the planet. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, it's been... You know, if you if you if you say that uh, if somebody is going to take a sort of a religious angle from a quasi-Christian angle and say, well, you know, it says in the Bible we've got dominion over all the creeper things and blah blah blah, well, yeah, but actually that comes loaded with responsibility, and what we have been doing is shirking responsibility in favor for greed, and that is where it all falls apart. So unless we actually find a way to do to not assign. Uh, to not commodify all living things. It's not ours to commodify and sell. It is for you to live with and coexist. I'm not saying you can't eat it, because obviously you're meant to. But you have to not have this thing where you're, you're just selling it for money and then just causing massive imbalances. And here we are at the end of the gravy train. In the next two to three generations, it's going to change horrifically. So if you want your great-grandchildren to live in a world which is unrecognizable, just carry on going the way that we're going. Uh, so it, better to stop, take stock, and say, whoa, this isn't right. And by, we have to also eliminate wastefulness 
from our mindsets in the sense that it is completely wasteful to spend enormous sums of money to fly on an airplane, burning jet fuel and all this sort of thing, to fly out to Africa and then spend 80000 to 120000 whatever it is, for your 21-day hunt and to go and shoot a lion, which you don't need to do. You don't need to eat it. Why the fuck would you want to eat a lion? You know what I mean? It's well, ridiculous. This, this brings up the whole concept of the carbon footprint of a hunt. Compared to the carbon footprint of shipping a strawberry from Chile, so you can have it on Christmas Day in the middle of winter when no strawberries are growing. I mean, it really is interconnected to this point, and this is what we need to start thinking about. And wildlife is, is a key indicator. I yeah. mean, from a conservation perspective of being umbrella species or keystone species and apex predators, whatever, it's a relationship. I think what we're, we've kind of lost the, the point and the track in as a species is that we're a part of this indicator. Oh, yeah, totally. Actually, there's a book that I can recommend, um, which is very, very good, called The Art of Tracking. And it's written by a, a South African gentleman by the name of Louis Liebenberg. And it is really a, a, a very good technical uh, breakdown of the tracking skills and methodology of tracking of, uh, of the Kalahari Bushman. And um, one of the things he mentions and there he goes at odds to explain is that the Bushmen at that level, who I think are, you know, sort of remnants of these uh, indigenous populations that we have pockets of around the world, whether it be South American Indians or Papua New Guineans and people who are living at one with their environment, these guys understand their environment in the way that city dwellers understand where to go and find the best pizza and where to go and get uh, the, you know, the bookstore and where they're going to do whatever. And the Bushmen, they understand from season to season, from week to week during the season, what types of animals are going to be coming back, what family groups are going to be coming back. They will actually even be able to understand, uh, will keep track of which family members are no longer in there, which ones are, everything else. They selectively hunt in that sense. Um, and there's a respect in coexistence with that animal. Well, this is sort of what we've gotten away from in this um, ease of access to everything, the corner store, yeah. this separation, this insulation from where food comes from. Oh, totally. If there's something that I can say that I think that um, that holistic hunting has a massive benefit to offer uh, the world is this disassociation that we have. People sort of go to the supermarket and they just pick up a, a, a vacuum plastic sealed piece of meat and they go home and they cook it and they just do it. They have no appreciation for the suffering that that animal had to undergo to get into that state. Especially now, today did, in industrialized agriculture, totally. as they call it. Absolutely. I think you've got that guy in the States. Was it Joel Selvatan or something? He's a uh, farmer. Oh, I, I, know, I know who you're talking about. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. You should be voting that guy in as your president. That's what we want because that guy at least understands it. You know what I mean? Uh, he's very good. A polyface farm, I think it is, or something. I can't remember what it's called now. But, um, you know, his ideas as well. You know, you have animals living. If, here's another way. If you're going to be – okay, this is me foisting my own, uh, my own personal beliefs on this. But if you eat animals that are having unhappy lives, you are taking on unhappy energy. Absolutely. This is what Temple Grandin talked about in her book, Think Animals Make Us Human and Revolutionizing the Beef Industry. So Mm. she loves cows, but in order to make an impact economically on the 
cattle ranchers, industrialized cattle farmers, she had to point out the economic benefits of the losses they were facing of stressed out beef. So she came up with a five-point system. Instead of a hundred-point check system, a five-point system. If you have to cattle prod your cattle more than 25% of the time, you have a problem in moving them. If more oh, yeah. than 25% of your cattle are coming up lame, you have a floor plop problem. So this is, this is revolutionizing the world, and it's not new. It's been going on since the 60s. We weren't listening. It happened again in the 80s, you know, with the huge die-off of elephants in Kenya, the Savo poaching, the drought, and the change in the generations of elephants. And this is what we're talking about now. We are, we are removing huge chunks of genetic memory that not only affects the wildlife itself, changers of the Everybody. entire planet, planetary systems, oh, but it's us. Oh, it's a knock-on effect because what's going to happen is the more we keep on knocking out big chunks of the biodiversity like this, new and uncharted threats like Ebola and things like that will break out. You would That's have thought Ebola have. would have been a wake-up call. Look how quickly that faded from, I yeah, mean, it, no, it look, really hurt Africa. I well, mean, yeah, anybody, exactly. you know, as far as from East Africa, oh, I'm not going there. And now uh, yeah. we have all the State Department travel warnings of insecurity for ivory poaching and terrorism. Kenya is a good example of that. Mm. And it's, you know, if we tank the ecotourism sector, mm. then we're going to tank Africa. And that's going to have Look, a big you, effect. You can't, I, I, we've said that, I've always said this, and also Phyllis Stewart has also said this. We have it as a bit of a motto. You cannot fix the animal problems if you do not fix the people problems first. You can't bail out nature. Just can't do it. And, and in fact, this also brings me back to, uh, to Rory Young, who uh, a tireless campaigner for anti-poaching and stuff like that. Um, he's also pointed out um, the, the, you know, the realities of anti-poaching. Anti-poaching, which is what the outside world sees uh, as the sort of uh, you know, guys with glamorous guns and walking around and doing the dangerous stuff, they're basically a form of guerrilla warfare, and yet it is not real war, but it effectively has the same sort of risk factor. Um, it is, is a the war. Triage. It's a war on wildlife. It, it it's is, people it putting is. their but, lives on but, the line for um, yeah. oh, an ecosystem benefit, and they're dying. Absolutely. What Absolutely. I call the thin green but, line. But that, that action, the action of anti-poaching is triage. It is the last emergency response to managing the, 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 the calamity. What you have to do is look back and remove the, the risk at source. To do that means you now have to say, why are these people doing this? Because they are impoverished. They've been marginalized. They've been ignored. They, have not, they are not really a part of the world. And effectively, they're really quasi-slaves funding a bigger system where everyone just takes advantage of it. And of course, <laughs> Africa is falling apart because of it. So it's what, Damien, Man it's what Damien Mander says. I don't know if you know who he is. Uh, International Anti-Poaching Foundation, another yes, grantee yes. of Wild Eyes. Had to get that plug in there. But, yeah. you know, it's stopping the hemorrhaging until we, and this is what you'd said at the end of your post, Earth doesn't need saving. Humanity mm. needs saving. Earth will take care of herself. We are the ones destroying it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and it shouldn't just be left to 
uh, to the good souls of anti-poaching, such as Damian Manda or Rory Young or other guys. Or Tony There's Fitzjohn other, or you or, or me. Or Tony Fitzjohn. Yeah, exactly. Or even uh, the uh, Honey Guide Foundation in Tanzania. You know, those guys are a very good community development program there to, uh, you know, developing the people to help with the anti-poaching thing. That's a really good progressive uh, operation. And in Zambia as well, we've got a very good uh, project there, uh, you know, helping rural people in farming and all that. Again, to discourage them from from uh, from poaching, these are the sort of things we need. We need more of that. We need, in fact, one of the things I I uh, I, I tried to do with the um, Wangi Conservation Consortium, and and I got good responses from it, uh, was that I talked to Black Indigenous business operators in Zimbabwe, uh, who were absolutely on sides, very helpful, and um, and they said. Uh, you know, I said, what we need are things like microfinancing and real business skills to help these communities, people in these communities. So if there's some guy who wants to start up a shop or whatever it is, he can access that help. Uh, but it's all on the grounds of coexisting with the environment at the same time uh, and not you know, destroying it. I think we need to give a lot more power back to the people on the ground and not the safari companies and the operators. That's what it I call leakage. Back. Yeah, and what you refer to, to in terms of in your po- original post that these two programs last week and this week are based on, once again, go to Nick Lynch on Facebook, go to Ellie Weiss on Facebook or Wild Eyes Foundation or Our Wild World, and you'll see the origination of these two programs, which creates a global concert conversation conservation conversation that it's not an African problem and that um with all the money that is pouring into Zimbabwe, which is the focus of this uh, mm. particular series, that there's nothing to show for it. Where are the universities? Where is the yeah, ingenuity? Absolutely. Where is the entrepreneurship? Why absolutely. is the U.S. and Europe still having to bail out Africa? Yeah, exactly. It shouldn't. It shouldn't have to do that. And and here's another thing. It's something like, you know, we mustn't try and – it's difficult because obviously we've got all this complicated political crap in the background. But there are guys – in Zimbabwe, who really have a lot to offer conservation. Xavier Kasakaweri, who really found himself in the position that he did in his, because uh, uh, he, he's not a conservationist, he comes from an intelligence background and all sorts of other things. He's a, he's a very kind of uh, go-getter kind of guy. Um, you know, that guy has actually got a lot of potential to help conservation in Zimbabwe. I would, I personally, and I hope Xavier listens to this, I'll get a bottle of scotch, we'll sit down, we'll hammer out this shit, and then we'll go out into the villages together and see what can we do? What do the people want? Then we can put the two and two together and then get the aid money in and do something constructive. Do not leave it into the hands of a bunch of you know, guys who are living a derelict past from the colonial era and who sort of think of themselves as, you know, no, 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 no. Africa is for the Africans and real Africans get along together all the time. And so now... Let's build all of those bridges, put them aside. It, it, this Wangi does not belong to any one safari company, and, and nor should it ever. And nor do the people in the outlining areas. But if it's going to be something along the lines of conservation and Wangi is only going to be held in the hands of the sustainable utilization, let's kill animals for fun brigade, well, then we're fucked. It's got to absolutely stop. We must now look at it as how do we actually get the rural poor to actually get themselves out of the situation and to be included in conservation in a real way. And, and we have is, so this, much to learn this, from them. This is truly what community-based conservation is about. And it's a concept that's been yeah. bandied about for a long time. But somehow it seems that the West 
is this fantasized, illusionary vision of tribal Africa, let's say the Maasai with their sticks gazing out across the veldt, or the savanna, or the bushmen, that it's some some romanticized version, and that mm. somehow they're relics, and that they're not living in the same year we are, 2015, <laughs> that they right. don't have access to the radio, that they don't have access to the same news. I mean... Africans have cell phones, and they have access to the Internet. They have the access to the same information we have. We just aren't giving it to them in the mass quantities that we've made it available. Why isn't broadband all across Africa? Uh, well, I, I can't answer Hardly the Hardly it's geographic. Question. I get that. You well, know, yeah, there yeah. is wildlife, that, that, but cellular technology, this... and this is what we're talking about. We have the technology now to leapfrog that it doesn't need poles and wires, that we have this technology uh, now. In fact, technology is going to be a major, major game shifter in the whole system, and in fact, even for, uh, for conservation in Africa, because you see things like uh, the internet and also surveillance technology, to be honest, um, is going to be as such that it will be very difficult for any country in Africa in the nearby future to actually lie about its elephant population. Uh, there, there will be technological solutions to how that can be alleviated. Um, even previously, for instance, 20 years ago, the, uh, the, I, I actually discussed this with the head ecologist of national parks in Zimbabwe, um, a friend of mine there. Uh, I said to him, why don't we go to the Americans and try and see if we can get some remote sensing solution to counting the elephants accurately. And he says, well, that's ridiculous. It would cost millions of dollars to retask a satellite, and they don't want to do that, and blah, blah, blah. And we, we talked about all the technical differences, even, even down to using thermal imagery and everything else. And it costs millions of dollars, billions, billions of but dollars. But if we're willing to put that, that into what we call national well, security, well, this well, is a national is this. security <laughs> issue. Well, if Africa tanks, it's a national security issue. Yeah, but now, because technology has gone the way it does, it no longer costs billions of dollars to put a satellite in space. You can get yourself a sky cube for about $20 million. And for another $5 million bucks, now you've got a dedicated spy satellite dedicated to covering anti-poaching. That so can right run, there is 1.01% 1. 1. of the platinum profits in well, Zimbabwe. I don't I don't, I don't know if Zimbabwe wants to pay for its own sky cube, but because uh, obviously once that happens... But Africa certainly could. I mean, the different sections, Africa southwest, south, south, central, west, ah, northern, east... It has to, if, the argument, if the argument by African nationalists is that they are concerned about Western cultural imperialism and imperialism in general <laughs> and or neo-colonialism, then what they have to do is actually start taking the responsibility into their own hands and saying... Christ, before we have some foreigner flying a spy satellite over us, checking our, over, over our shoulders, checking out wildlife populations all the time, let's just do the job properly ourselves from scratch. Because that's what's going to end up happening. They will, they will end up being overrun technologically by the outside world, and then they'll be cornered. It's much better for Africa to actually be responsible for its own good, which it can be. Because the thing is, it's not as if we don't have the brains. There are some the most some of the cleverest guys you can imagine are black African people living in Africa. They this, just need to be empowered. This goes back to what um, his name is escaping me. United Nations talked about of why they didn't want to get involved in the Africa problem because quote unquote um, italicized mine um, that Africa needs to step up. So this is what we're talking about. 
Africa can do it. Uh, it will, and it will, it will, it will happen. I it mean, has uh, to. I, I think there's no doubt of it, and it will be good. I have no doubt of it. I think Zimbabwe has a bright future ahead of it. I'm hopeful that after, you know, I'm hoping, like every other Zimbabwean, we're all hoping that it doesn't, it doesn't collapse into a, into a smoldering heap. And hopefully but, we won't lose elephants, lions, or polar bears, or panda bears in the meantime. Well, it's a new, it's a new world, and, uh, and it is 2015. We cannot live with these archaic ideas of standing with your foot on the head of a dead elephant and all sort of crap. That's gone. That is honestly, it's, it's so outdated. The, the, the modern world doesn't have time for it, and it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's time to scrap the old ways, find a new way, and that's it. We move on. And, you know, I'll just put in a side in here that we can just a little segue that industrializing and farming of wildlife is not the answer either. No, I don't so, think it is which either. Which is what we spent the last month talking about, captive wildlife or captive canned hunting well, in South in fact, Africa. It is very, not a very... sustainable model. In fact, I would, I, would, I would say draw your listeners' attention to uh, Breaking the, Bra- the Brand Project oh, by yeah. Lynn Johnson. Um, she's a, a tireless campaigner in Vietnam. Uh, she's also covered how farmed or ranched rhino horn uh, would simply fan more demand in Vietnam for the real thing. And so, then there's that new company that wants to do 3D printing of rhino horn and yeah. a great article saying, why should some Western company, private company, benefit and financially from an inherent resource that belongs to Africa or yeah, African yeah, nations. Sure. No, absolutely. We Africa can't privatize nature. Protect itself. No, that's correct. Africa needs to, to, to do its own thing properly. It needs to look into the future. It needs to realize that the, the modern world is progressing at such a rate that these antiquated things don't work anymore. Uh, look, the other thing as well is that we have to look at our tourism models and restructure them. So far, for instance, Zimbabwe uh, is sold first from this wildlife uh, place and come to look at Victoria Falls. That's the first primary way of doing it. We don't look at it from the point of view of selling African culture first, which is ridiculous. That's the way it should be done. You know, it's like selling Egypt from the point of view of come and dive at the Red Sea. Oh, and afterwards, as an afterthought, on the way back to the airport, we'll go past some ancient ruins called the pyramids for a 20-minute photo stop. (laughs) What? (laughs) <laughs> it's ridiculous. We're kind of missing the point, eh? It's completely ridiculous. People should be Zimbabwe should be marketed from its rich African cultural heritage and traditions, and then secondly, come and look at the wildlife, and then thirdly, come and look at Victoria Falls. It's completely sold wrong, and so we have to get that thing sorted out correctly, and then everything else falls into place. We ditch the old mindset from the colonialist era, and we simply adopt a new way forward. It's actually, there is no other way forward. It's called evolution. And we're at the cusp of evolving. And the only way to evolve is to be that which you want to be and be part of the problem. I mean, excuse me, be part of the solution, not of the problem. And as long as we're going to, as a species, evolve, which we have to, it may as well be us. Absolutely. And I I just wanted to close off. I'll tell you again that I think uh, I hope the conservation world out there doesn't give all the professional hunters such a bad time all the time. We really have to understand that these guys just need to be brought over to the side of thinking 
of, look, their way of making money before has just become grossly unpopular and there's another way of doing it and they can still make a really good living doing it another way. Uh, I tell you, I saw a friend of mine, uh, Nigel Kuhn, a uh, very good guy. He's doing a conservation project up in Kariba in Zimbabwe. Uh, he's also worked as a, um, a hunting videographer, a video guy who hunt, follows hunts. And uh, the one day he went out into the Savi Valley Conservancy. They were desnaring and doing anti-poaching work. They found a buck that had been severely stressed in a snare. It, it uh, sort of collapsed and, and died effectively. The professional hunter gave that buck mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I t- it's the most bizarre thing, incredible thing that, uh, that I've ever seen. He resuscitated a buck. Wow. You know, so if that, if that can be the case, that's how we should understand that this is the level of compassion that actually is available in the hunting community. These, some of these people are fantastic people, but they just need to know that, you know, we, we, the, the bygone era bullshit is over. Well, it's, it's the same thing. If before. you can get all warm and fuzzy over a fireman resuscitating a kitten, yeah. then we have to transfer that same mentality to the larger landscape and let wildlife be preserve wilderness because it is a part of our human psyche every car advertisement puts you out there that you can escape but if there's nothing to escape to what will that do to us as yeah. as a species our our mentality our psyche our evolution so wilderness as we talked about in this program and last week's it's a deeply a deep ecology it's a deeply connected web and we're knowing it more and more science the data everything 40 years of research is telling us how connected we are so yeah. when are we going to stop pretending and get with the program and make these connections real live it every day make some lifestyle changes not everybody can be a vegan not everybody's going to be a vegetarian a maasai cannot do that a bushman yeah. cannot do that so it's not about you know everybody stopping one thing it's about looking at your lifestyle and making changes where you can and understanding that it's all connected and that if we destroy everything that this earth is we're destroying our ability to survive into the future yeah, we have to be more compassionate about everything and understand how we interact and live with our environment in a natural sense. And each sense. other. And each other, absolutely. You know, yeah, quit, absolutely. Quit, quit, quit finding the enemy. All our no, programming sure. these days is all about war and the enemy yeah, yeah. and the and the Rambos yeah. of today. We have to yep. find a way to really fight for, as cliche as it sounds, peace. Huh. Absolutely. That's the one thing all Zimbabweans want. We just want, we, we don't even, I don't even think about retribution for the, for, for the wrongs of the past of these guys. I think, let's just start again properly. Let's just, you know, let's, what, what is the point of looking for retribution? It's simply, let's move on. Let's have a peaceful way forward. There has to come a point where, you know, the tit for tat, eye for an eye stops. That um, retribution, that retaliation comes to an end if Rwanda could do it and come to a reconciliation the world can do it unfortunately Absolutely. Nick you know we're out of time today cool things. no problem thank you very much Ellie. this has been an incredibly important program I hope our listeners tune in and join us for last week's the beginning of this episode and once again find Nick Lynch on Facebook join uh, uh, our wild world on Facebook wild eyes foundation and 
And also Wangi Conservation Consortium and Elephant Days. That would be good as well. Look them all up. Google search the heck out of this program. We listed a lot of names, a lot of resources, a lot of information. So it's time for the world to get with it. So listeners, it's in your hands. We have to pick up the torch and evolve. And it's today. It's not tomorrow. It's now. So thank you, Nick. Thank you very much, Ellie. It's been an enlightening, wonderful conversation, passionate, and um, I have to say thanks because I don't get to often have this kind of, you know, just free-for-all. And um, so, listeners, it's up to you. So, um, Apologies for the occasional F-bomb. Oh, (laughs) you know, this is reality. It's the world. I'm sure it's not a new word to many people. So the time for Silence of the Lambs is over. It's us. So this is Our Wild World. Step out and see it. Thank you. This is Ellie Weiss. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.